this thing on? Because it's getting ready to be on. Hello and welcome to Bell Ringer. My name is Greg. Your guest name today is Journey Gunderson, Executive Director of the National Comedy Center. On this episode, Journey and I talk about everything about the National Comedy Center, from the thought and intentionality that went into curating and designing the museum, all the way up to the reception it's received since opening, from both visiting patrons across the country and the comedians themselves that the museum helps to celebrate. Thanks so much to Journey for her time and yours for listening. So just 70 minutes or so south of Buffalo in Lucille Ball's home of Jamestown, New York, we set forth about 10 or 11 years ago to make a broader vision a reality. You know, we had the Lucille Ball Desert Inez Museum and the Lucille Ball Comedy Festival in Jamestown for years. But dating back to the words of Lucille Ball herself, she kind of said to her hometown, don't just celebrate me, make this a destination to celebrate all of comedy. And she recognized that no one had done that yet nationwide. And she went through an entire career feeling like comedy had never been given the same level of respect as classical traditional art forms, et cetera. So in 2018, we opened a $50 million museum called the National Comedy Center. And it's uh, the biggest sigh of relief that I can breathe is that it's been lauded by everyone from casual comedy consumers, you know, the average Joe American tourist coming through or local, uh, to the most um, sophisticated cultural critics that review museums worldwide, um, but probably as importantly or most importantly, the artists themselves in the comedy community, which is a, a cynical, uh, tough audience, as you know. And so to see comedians go through and feel, in their words, like someone has finally built uh, kind of a shrine to their art form that pulls back the curtain on the intensity of the work involved in creating good comedy. Um, to see all of that come to fruition is exactly what I was nervous about for a decade building it and uh, that I'm thrilled about today. Yeah, so if anybody hasn't been there, I can just say having been there a bunch of times that it's incredible and you can't you don't even understand how amazing it is until you're there um our organization represents the eight counties of western new york and i think it's so interesting from like a tourism perspective to have niagara falls north of the city of buffalo and then the national comedy center south that there's this perfect kind of like corridor right up and down the kind of west coast of new york that tourists can enjoy and we could draw so many people to our region so for you being this like destination for all of those different groups that you discussed what do you see the impacts for you know for this museum being in Jamestown and just kind of western New York broadly like what are the impacts of having this many visitors come in this many eyes on the community sure so one of the great things about the path to opening this museum is that uh nobody just hands you money to build something like this because you claim it will work. Uh, there was there were years of preceding feasibility analysis, economic impact studies, uh, and you know there were more than 19 funding sources. And so a big part of the work 
um, in addition to actually designing and producing and building the, the comedy museum itself at the National Comedy Center was making the case that Western New York is a destination that can draw uh, over 100,000 visitors a year to Jamestown um, and make you know an impactful delta uh, in terms of the economic impact on Western New York. The fact that we're within you know a day's drive of two thirds of uh, Canada's population and within a day's drive of the population centers of not just the three hour region and radius of Pittsburgh, Cleveland, uh, Toronto, Buffalo, Syracuse, Rochester, um, but Boston, Chicago, New York, uh, we got very practiced at making the case that Western New York is already a tourism destination that's beautiful, that is undiscovered by a lot of the country and certainly both coasts. Uh, and then we saw within three weeks of opening this museum, uh, visitors from all 50 states. So every week when I walk through the Comedy Center, I love one of my favorite things to do is just ask whoever I'm passing by, where did you come from? And while it is uh, I'm happy to say it's often the Buffalo region. It's uh, as often somewhere in the Midwest or somebody from New York City or Los Angeles. I've heard it dubbed the um, Cooperstown of comedy in some like videos or different like media placements, even as I was like prepping for this and just selfishly. I'm a huge baseball fan. I'm a huge comedy fan. So I think that, that is kind of the perfect encapsulation of what the the comedy center is but it also not just from a location perspective but it goes to your first point of finally like celebrating this art form and, and kind of like piece of americana or contributions to culture so what feedback have you gotten from those more cynical you know like actual artists within comedy that you talked about kind of in your in your opening answer because i know that they've bought in and i've seen them a lot of them do videos about the comedy center or on behalf of the comedy center lewis black's on late night shows wearing you know your t-shirt so what has the reception been from those folks uh in a nutshell once someone has visited they almost always exclaim that they did they didn't expect it to be this good and again, these are people who are really good at making fun of things. So I definitely lost sleep for years, hoping this would never become the butt of a joke. And I think that was a good thing. It motivated us to keep the bar really high uh, every part of the way with the creative process. And so we were just recently uh, featured on CBS Sunday Morning. So to have Western New York and Jamestown featured on a national program like CBS Sunday Morning uh, for the ribbon cutting and opening of our Carl Reiner exhibit with Rob Reiner, one of the most decorated filmmakers uh, of this generation or any, in Jamestown uh, with his siblings to, you know, say to the world, this is the home of their father's archives. You're talking about uh, more than seven decades in comedy and collaborations with Steve Martin, Mel Brooks, Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore, uh, Sid Caesar. So, we have now named the preservation work and preservation department and archive of the National Comedy Center for Carl Reiner. Uh, we of course made a splash early on before we opened with the acquisition of the George Carlin archives. Um, and the New York Times has continued to cover uh, acquisitions and us becoming the exhibit and preservation home of 
legacies and estates like Johnny Carson. So uh, you asked more about industry involvement. So Jimmy Fallon this year agreed to be the hologram host of the Johnny Carson exhibit that's now open in Jamestown. So if you haven't done the Johnny Carson experience here, it's one of the largest and most significant exhibitions we've opened since 2018 when the museum opened. And it's an immersive experience. And, you know, it was um, a privilege to work with Jimmy Fallon at 30 Rock shooting this, uh, you know, basically providing his team the script, getting his input on it. He made it his own in a great way um, because he was passionate about helping the National Comedy Center tell the stories of 30 years of late night uh, of Johnny Carson and The Tonight Show. Uh, Amy Poehler just joined our advisory board. And again, that was after she visited. So one of the, the roles we always said the Comedy Center would set forth to play was to be the, the missing national archive that would preserve our country's comedy heritage. No one was doing that. Um, so there were all kinds of comedy archives that risked being lost from the Smothers Brothers uh, to George Carlin, to Carl Reiner, to Betty White. Uh, and so documentary filmmakers, including Amy Poehler, as she did her documentary on Lucy and Desi, uh, or Judd Apatow, when he just made his award-winning documentary on George Carlin, now have an institution to lean on uh, for archives. And you can see the use of our archives in both of those films and more. Uh, and when Amy Poehler made uh, three trips here within a year, uh, she came away saying, and I loosely quote, the this is a my uh, every visit is a mind blowing experience for me. This has become my favorite museum of all time, and now she's a member of the advisory board. So we just I think continue the momentum. And Jeff Foxworthy toured, and I don't think he'll mind me saying he actually cried, and then he admitted we were laughing. He said, "I, I have to tell you, I didn't think it was going to be this good." You know, he was kind of acknowledging the perception people have of places that aren't New York, Chicago or Los Angeles, right? So he's coming to town going, I've heard about this comedy museum. I've heard it's good, but it's in Western New York. It's in Jamestown. Uh, and upon touring, he was sort of brought to tears and said, you know, finally someone has sort of done this um, examination of the craft that I've made my lifetime career out of. And so he was really moved and now has become a significant donor. So let's talk about some of the exhibits within the Comedy Center, because I think part of what makes the center so incredible is the breadth of comedy that it covers and celebrates. So there's, um, you know, a, a prop room, there's things about comic strips like stand up late night. So tell us a little bit about just kind of the, the breath and it feels like the intentionality that you helped build it with to make sure that you celebrated that entire spectrum. Uh, awesome question. Thank you for asking that. Our official tagline is the story of comedy lives here, which is the truth. Uh, unofficially, I tell people it's like someone curated comedy's greatest hits and your visit to this museum is enjoying those. So I, I can't think of a person who doesn't enjoy it here and hasn't or wouldn't. And one of the things that somehow we got right, but was one of the most difficult it sounds cliche to say there's something for, for everyone or for all ages, but it's absolutely true. Um, we welcome a lot of retiree senior citizen bus groups who are absolutely relishing in seeing old clips from uh, Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows or the Dick Van Dyke Show. 
but what's magical is that we're making connections between generations. So most people visit a museum with someone of another generation or age cohort. And so you'll see on the comedy continuum, my favorite exhibit, which is a more than 70 foot wide uh, interactive touchscreen interface. It basically is uh, the game Six Degrees of Separation on steroids and comedy. So you're making connections of collaboration or influence between generations of comedians. And so you're seeing, you know, maybe a, a kid in his 20s who only knows Trevor Noah or maybe Jon Stewart as a political comedian connecting with his grandfather who knows Mort Saul. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's part of the educational experience one is getting here. And when I asked Amy Poehler in our first sort of onboarding Zoom, once she joined the board, I said, why did you say yes to this? And her answer was so interesting. She said, I love the way the museum makes connections between old and new. It's not just a look back at the George Carlins and Carl Reiners. It's uh, it incorporates present day comedy, contemporary comedy. So no matter what age you are, you're walking through this museum and instead of feeling alienated because you don't recognize anyone and it's comedy from another time period, which can be temporal as well. Comedy evolves with our culture. Instead, you're seeing people you recognize, hearing voices you recognize, clips from shows you recognize. Um, so we try to make those connections. And as you kind of mentioned, it's one of the most interactive museums in the world because we just built it and opened it in 2018. We used some of the best uh, museum designers worldwide and we knew it couldn't be static. Uh, we, we did annotate the exhibit experience with uh, the greatest collection of comedy artifacts known to man. So it is the, the holy grail uh, in that respect. It's the crown jewels of comedy from Carlin's handwritten notes to Charlie Chaplin's cane to the wardrobe of Carol Burnett and Lucille Ball and Rodney Dangerfield, et cetera. Um, but it's personalized. So every visitor, their first step in the lobby is to create a sense of humor profile that's loaded onto a digital chip called an RFID chip around their wrist. And it allows the exhibits to respond to their sense of humor. It's an incredible experience. The one, <clears throat> I mean, all the way up to modern day, like celebrating some of the like early YouTube stars and like Bo Burnham and different vines. And then all the way back to, yeah, you know, the Johnny Carson where you're moving the camera around to all the late night thing. I mean, it's incredible. I love it. I'm we went there for I've been there a few times, but every time it's like you could spend three days there, you know, just back to back to back. And you probably would still want more. So it's just incredible. Well, you, <laughs> you use the word intentionality. And I want people to know as well, because everyone you work with and in, in your realm, this is about uplifting Western New York. And so one of the design principles that we said to everyone in the boardroom at every design firm throughout the project was we need to design with repeat visitation in mind and multi-day visits. So you can have a great experience that people consume and they're finished with in a couple of hours and you could have a successful attraction that way. And that was not the goal. We said we need people to leave saying they need to come back and we need people to once they understand the breadth of the content, know that they can spend a weekend in Western New York and not consume it all. There is actually no one on the staff who works at the Comedy Center who has consumed every piece of content in every exhibit. That's how deep the experiences are. And what we often see is people get through the Carlin, the first wing, uh, the Carlin exhibit, uh, page to stage, and then the late night one you mentioned where you're going through everyone from Jack Parr to David Letterman to Stephen Colbert uh, to James Corden and Jimmy Fallon, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, 
they get through there and they're like, oh, I, I had planned to be back on the road by now. And I'm a quarter of the way through this museum. And they haven't even seen the blue room, which is the uncensored whole lower floor. So it's been a great thing because often they will even say, should we get a hotel room? Let's make it a weekend. Or they plan their return visit and pick up a membership. The blue room is kind of the next thing I just wanted to ask you quick about, like kind of the, I'm sure it was a process and like a, a pretty big debate on how you make a center for all ages without like censoring comedy and the art form. So I mean, the Blue Room, even just the fact that it's like the basement and you you go downstairs to this more uncensored room um, is like an awesome choice. But I just wanted to ask kind of about that process from your end, because I'm sure there was like a push and pull of how you make it accessible to everyone without, like I said, censoring it. You are absolutely right. And there was some skepticism voiced early on, you know, years before it opened and I was having conversations with comedians or uh, you know, the head original head writer of Saturday Night Live, who's now on our board, Alan Zweibel, uh, where they were going, wait a minute, you're not going to Disneyfy comedy, are you? Like they hear that you're opening a museum or an attraction. And right at that same time, New York State uh, did research on, you know, what is the lowest hanging fruit in tourism and in marketing tourism in New York State? And it was families with children. So right at this point, I'm going, how are we going to navigate this? And how are we going to avoid censoring the very thing we're celebrating? So, uh, and we're working within, it's an adaptive reuse of two existing structures, the old trolley garage of Jamestown and the former train station. So the floor plan is the floor plan. Uh, and I don't remember what point in the process we decided that the lower level would be entirely uncensored and actually lean into telling the story and highlighting the most boundary pushing material at any time period in our heritage. Um, but it made for something I like, which is that parents can decide that their teenagers, let's say, are mature enough for that. They can say, okay, I, I'm, I think my 14 year old kid can handle it. We're going to have a conversation about it and they can go down there. But your wristband indicates your age. And so it's also designed so that it, you know, an eight or nine year old can't just stumble down into the blue room. Your wristband won't open the door for you because it's pretty it's pretty shocking some of what's in there. Um, and even on the main floor, there's content that, you know, isn't exactly G uh, rated. It's, uh, but, you know, our culture evolves. And I think what our job is to do is facilitate the conversation around the subject matter. You know, comedy's always been irreverent and boundary pushing. And it's interesting to, to glimpse everything in hindsight. Well, the blue room isn't, it doesn't, at least to me, exists just to like shock you, but it exists to like have those conversations and talk about the the boundaries and blurred lines, which I thought was really incredible. Um, my first time down there, so um, I want to ask. And you, just, you can have a cocktail, right? <laughs> that <laughs> was intentional amazing. as well. Comedy is always better with a two drink minimum. So for all of your listeners, this is a museum that actually has a bar, and we have adult sippy cups with lids that you can carry throughout the attraction. And it's not a coincidence that we put the bar in the comedy karaoke lounge, which is where visitors can get into the act and with a teleprompter perform some of the greatest stand-up bits of all time. Uh, the the courage that sometimes is gained from having the bar in there helps. Certainly, yes. I spend um, one of my favorites too in, in the Blue Room is the exhibit about the roasts and watching like old yeah. White House correspondence dinners and incredible. 
I could go on all day about hey, some of the things I love. <laughs> you said White House Correspondents' Dinner, and I would be remiss if I did not bring up that yesterday marked the passing of uh, Mark Russell, Western New York native, uh, beloved comedian, uh, advisory board member of the National Comedy Center, friend. Uh, I, he, 40 years ago this month, uh, April 1983, um, Mark Russell was the headliner of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And from that point forward, it was comedy annually as a tradition. So that tells you how well he did. And uh, in that time period, it had been a mix of cabaret and variety. And uh, ever since 40 years ago this month, with Mark Russell's performance, it became an annual tradition in comedy that now everyone nationwide has grown to respect, not just in Washington. And so uh, we he deserves a lot of credit. And I have to say that W. Kamau Bell, a fantastic um, uh, comedian and, and commentator on social issues, when he visited Chautauqua Institution for the National Comedy Center Comedy Week we produced, and I introduced him to Mark Russell on one of the famous sort of porches and parties at Chautauqua, he said, oh, my gosh, Mark Russell is one of the reasons I got into comedy because you remembered watching him on PBS as a child. So um, we're always celebrating comedy's heritage. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that uh, Mark Russell is a special, special uh, legacy in Western New York and comedy, comedy's heritage as a whole. It's an incredible note. Um, and it kind of it, it pivots well into my next question. I mean, you get to meet so many incredible comedy icons in your line of work. I was wondering if there's been a moment where maybe you felt starstruck or like even nervous to meet somebody that <laughs> you were finally getting to meet. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I, I, Whatever it is, if it's a gene or a trait, I don't know. Fortunately, I, I think I don't tend to, to freak out too badly, even though some part of my brain is absolutely appreciating the moment. I've generally been able to hold it together, I think. Uh, I remember meeting Jerry Seinfeld when he came to town, and that was the that was a big name for us to have booked in 2015 because we didn't open the museum until 2018. Um, and talking to him about the concept, and he made a point that was from more of a global perspective, which I appreciated, which is that, you know, here in the United States, we made comedy uh, we took it and made it an entire entity and world in an artistic um, uh, juggernaut of uh, something that had just never been done before. And this is a uniquely American art form. And it was kind of validating at that point in the project to think of it that way, that this isn't just, hey, let's build this in the United States to celebrate um, the art form that everyone knows and loves. It was Let's also celebrate that um, this is one of the uniquely American art forms that we should be as a nation taking credit for. Definitely. Um, you obviously must have, must still have stressful days at work. Um, when those days hit, what exhibit do you, <laughs> what exhibit do you go to to calm down or have a laugh? <laughs> Absolutely. The prank seat. If okay. you don't, if you just want to shut your brain off, and laugh. Uh, hidden within the museum is a prank seat that is not labeled, but you can imagine what happens. 
And I laugh when people uh, enjoy it because in building the museum on quite a timeline that was really aggressive where we had to be approving hundreds of pieces of content and clips and, and commentary and contextualization and historic references and graphic panels and, and design and paint colors and acoustic treatments. And I had to approve 25 different styles of farts for the fart bench. <laughs> and I had feedback. <laughs> so anyway, it's very well curated and and nobody doesn't love it. Uh, one of my favorite things actually was Mark Russell, you know, again, this astute political uh, commentator with such brilliant and clever uh, ditties and songs and, and parodies about that day's news. And George Schlatter, the creator of Laugh-In and the American Comedy Awards, these two comedy moguls um, and brain trusts, both with their canes on in years at this point when we had just opened, going up and down on the fart bench together and just laughing hysterically. So it just goes to show you, they're never not funny. That was when I toured it, when it was under construction, the, our tour guide told us that that bench was going to exist. And that's my favorite thing to tell someone that if I'm bringing someone new through the museum, like just oh, sit down over there. <laughs> yeah, it actually bothers me because I go, oh, we could have opened four years earlier and saved $40 million if we just made a museum full of fart benches. It's just that popular. Bench. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we talked about how you can uh, personalize your experience with the wristband. I wanted to super quickly, just three questions, kind of personalize your comedy profile. Mm -hmm. So do you have a favorite stand-up comedian? Because these are the, some of the questions that you get asked as you enter the museum um, that helps you, you scan it in at each exhibit and it helps curate your experience. So do you have a favorite stand up? Uh, it's a tough question to answer, but I I really love Sarah Silverman and Paula Poundstone. How about a favorite uh, sitcom? Well, what comes to mind recently, because it's been a topic here in terms of updating content, is that I really appreciated Schitt's Creek. Talk about connecting generations, you know, of comedy greats. Uh, so, yeah, that's my answer there. Perfect choice. And then last one, we talked about the um, the late night music or exhibit where you're moving around the camera. Did you have a favorite favorite host or lean towards one of those shows? Ooh, controversial. I'm afraid. I mean, people are so passionate about their late night hosts. Exactly. You know, like if you're a Letterman fan or a Letterman nerd, and I say that affectionately, you could spend all day here just mm -hmm. deep diving on that. And uh, people are very passionate about it. Uh, I'll, I'll allow a, a pass if you need to. <laughs> no, I, I'm a Colbert fan. Okay. Great choice. Well, I appreciate all your time so much. This has been an awesome conversation. Before I let you go, we always end on a couple hard-hitting kind of Buffalo or general-themed blizzard round questions, we call it. So, uh We'll do that quick and then I'll let you let you get out of here. If you were a flavor of ice cream, what would you be? Vanilla, because Paul Morrissey, the comedian we had last weekend, did the greatest joke about uh, someone in the audience who loved vanilla ice cream and just kept hitting home on how they were so bland and uh, you had to be there, but it was great. So that's top of mind. So I'll say vanilla in case somebody has a punchline around it. What's a, a book or TV show that you'd recommend? Um... Uh, Mindy Kaling's last book and uh, Tina Fey's Bossy Pants. Do you prefer a text or phone call? Depends on the topic completely. Do you prefer hiking or skiing? Snowboarding. Good choice. How about uh, 
We're in Western New York. How about Bills or Sabres? Bills. And the last I mean, question. I, I, I don't want <laughs> I love them both. That's the only right answer. It's tough. Yes. Uh, last question. Most important one uh, for your chicken wings. Do you prefer a drumstick or a flat? Oh, I ask myself that a lot while I'm eating them. I think I like the drumstick and then I have a flat and I go, oh, but this is also delicious. So it's a tough, a tough one. Drumstick. That's a good way to live if you like both. <laughs> yeah. The fact that I'm still contemplating it every time I have wings, that's how much I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your uh, your time in this conversation so much and and just your work at the National Comedy Center. I think it's amazing for Western New York. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Greg, and for visiting frequently. Come back soon. Bellringer is a podcast by Invest Buffalo Niagara, the region's nonprofit, privately funded economic development organization, bringing new jobs for our neighbors and new investment for our neighborhoods. Come grow your business with us.